He is absolutely worthy. Absolutely worthy of glory and praise. Oh my goodness, welcome to Eastgate Church. We're so glad that y'all are here today. My name is Josh. I get the honor of being the lead pastor here, which means that I am the lead servant in the house, and that's the way it's supposed to work. Um, my goodness gracious. Look at the person next to you and say, hey, hey. wake up. This is going to be a fun day. Hey, now, if you think it's going to be a fun day, and if you're in love with Jesus, let me hear you go, whoop, whoop. Yes, I love that. You're having too much fun after a powerful moment of worship. Hey, it's all worship, right? It's all worship, right? We're so glad that you're in the house this morning. We're going to have some fun today, continuing this series that we're in called Storyteller, just looking at the, uh, the parables that Jesus Told. And I tell you what, if you want to sit at the feet of a powerful teacher, anytime Jesus is talking in Scripture, I'm going to be paying attention to that. It's a lot of truth there for sure. And I'm so glad that everyone is here today. If you're a guest here today, you're no longer a guest. Welcome home. You are family, and we're so glad that you are here. So what do you say we have some fun? Um, I love this time of year. I know you all hear me say that. I love this time of year. I love fall. Some people are summer people, and I get that. You have to hit the lake, hit the beach, and all of that stuff. I like the fall. It's just my favorite for a lot of different reasons. One, a big one is because football kicks up in the fall. That's always a big one for me. The temperatures start dropping in the fall. Now, listen, I, I get going to the beach. I love, man, it's just, there's a threshold of hot, though, that I just can't go with. And somebody, somebody used to say one time, listen, when it's cold, you can put on as many clothes as you want. But when it's hot, there's only so much you can take off, you know, uh, at least without going to visit the hotel downtown called the police station. You know what I mean? It's just, you can't walk around streaking. Um, so... I, uh, I, I can't stand much of the heat. I love the fall, though. I love it because I get to go camping again. Um, I, any, any outdoor people in the place this morning? Four or five, okay. I get the, the indoorsy people, but I love being outdoors. Fall kicks up. It's time to go camping. It's time for bonfires. It's time to break out the hoodies and the light jackets, you know. Uh, it's, it's just so much fun for me. I think... Uh, Fall's fun because uh, hunting season kicks up again. and I haven't, I haven't done a lot of hunting here the last previous years, but this year I think I'm going to get back into it and uh, see if I can't help control the population of these evil deer that are endangering our world. Um, somebody's got to do it, and I'll just gladly do I love this time of year, though. I love getting out in the woods. There's just something peaceful about it. You know, I like, like sitting in front of a lake. There's just something peaceful about it. Uh, I, I love that. I just love being outside. I love going on hikes and going on walks. You don't have to worry about melting. Now I can just get out there and enjoy the cool weather and enjoy the outdoors. And I think that was kind of birthed from when I was a kid. Y'all, any of y'all spent a lot of time outdoors when you were a kid? Listen, if, if you're under a certain age today, uh, let me encourage you. Open the door and go outside. Life does not exist behind the screen that you're watching. Life is outside the doors of your home or wherever else. So get outside and enjoy the outdoors for sure. I was always playing outside. I always, always had dirt on me some, somewhere, you know, growing up. And I remember when I was a kid, we, would all, we had like a, a wood stove in our house. We didn't have central heating or air or anything like that. We had box fans 
Come on, somebody knows this. Like we had box fans, and we had a wood stove that heated the whole house when, when I was growing up. And uh, there for a little while, I thought my name was Get Wood. I didn't, I didn't, know, <laughs> didn't know what my first name was. Go get wood for the stove. Go split, help Dad split wood for the, the stove, you know. And we'd make snow cream on the stove, and sometimes we'd cook on it. You know, it's just good fun for sure. But we'd always go down uh, these pulpwood trails behind our house to go down there where there had been clearing out the woods. And it would look something like this. We'd just go down these trails in my dad's old beat-up truck, and we'd drive out there, and we'd just cut up firewood and load up the truck and then come back. And this... This was, this is, this is, this is, if you want to know where Pastor Josh's happy place is, this is it right there. Just getting out in the middle of nowhere where sometimes my phone may or may not work, which is always a good thing too, you know, just getting away from it. And uh, I remember one time when I was little, because I loved going down the Pulpwood Trails, and there was a creek down there um, at where we would uh, cut wood. And one day I was playing with a friend outside, and I was like, you know what, let's go down to the creek. And I was probably about seven or eight years old. And you're seven or eight years old. You're all about the destination. You pay no attention to distances. And you don't think about the danger of going out in the woods. I always went with my parents. I knew where the creek was. I knew it was going to be fun to play in. Let's go to the creek. So me and my buddy tore out into the woods. Didn't tell anybody because we were on an adventure. Um, went out there to the creek, and we were having fun, and I don't know how long we were out there, man. It just seemed like half a day. We were, you, you could tell, it was kind of getting late in the afternoon. Sun was starting to shift a little bit, and we realized we didn't really know how to get back. How do you get home? My friend said, I think it's this way. So we went that way for a little bit. No, it's not that way. I think it's back this way. So we went this way for a little bit. No, it's not back that way. We were lost and we were in trouble. The sun was setting in the deep woods of Alabama. We were probably about two miles from the house back in the woods and uh, had no idea how to get back home. And then we heard the brush shuffling just a little bit and rustling just a little bit and looked. And my pet dog came jumping through the weeds down there by the creek. And doing all, and I was like, oh, what's going on, buddy? And... And then I looked up, and just behind the dog was my dad, who looked a little bit different than the dog. The dog was happy to see me. My dad had this look of, if I get a hold of you, boy. You know, you know that look? You, you know that look that sometimes only dads get? Like, moms have got a look. But dads have got this look like, you know what? I might live through today, or I might not. I don't know. We'll see how this plays out. So dad had used the dog to track us down, uh, hunting down my scent, and uh, sure enough, he helped escort us out of the woods quickly, and uh, he used a motivation stick called a switch. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that either. It is a motivation stick. So the, the game was, boy, you stay in front of me. Don't go too far that I can't see you, but you stay in front of me. If I catch up to you, you're going to get it with this. Yes, sir. I had a pretty good pace that day walking out of the woods. I really did. Hop back on the pulpwood trail and made it back to the house, you know, and it got lost out there in the woods, you know. And uh, now we've got great navigation devices to help us out. You know, compasses have been around for years, but now you've got little GPS things you can take out there. I don't know that I'm fully sold on how reliable those things are all the time. I'd always keep a compass with me for sure. Um, GPSs, y'all remember the days of travel before GPS? Yeah. And y'all had to like break out those old school map books? 
So Kelly, Kelly and I would, would travel around, and we would do a lot of work together as contractors in the city of Atlanta, and we had to pull out this map book, and she, her job was to, to work the map and tell me where to go, and then I would go where she wanted me to go. And sometimes that relationship would translate over into road trips that we would take. And I just, the invention of the GPS, I think, saved a lot of marriages. I really do. <laughs> I really do. You ever, you ever been driving with your spouse and they're like, hey, you need to go this way. No, I know where I'm going. We're going to get there. No, this is the better way. The better, we're in church. Y'all can't be all pretty faced. Hey, y'all have had that discussion, right? Yeah, especially married couples. And so I think GPS has probably saved a whole lot of marriages for sure. When you're out walking in the woods, though, you have to be careful to kind of recalibrate yourself from time to time and really systematically because you on your own, will put yourself in a bad situation if you're out in the woods. Um, and most people don't realize this. And even well-versed woodsmen out in the woods get lost because they don't realize that they have betrayed themselves on this little journey they were on out in the woods. Because when you walk, you have a dominant leg, just like you've got a right hand or either right-handed or left-handed. All the righties in the room. Let me see. You. All right, lefties in the room. Some of, y'all, some of y'all didn't wave anything at me. You're confused. Okay, we hope that you figure out which one that, that you use. Uh, so you got a right or a left foot that's dominant, and you take a longer stride with that leg. And if you don't stop to orientate yourself and figure out the direction that you're headed, you will eventually walk yourself around in a circle. You ever heard of that? People out walking, they get lost, and then they come back to... The spot that they've been before is because given enough time, you will always walk yourself around into a circle if you don't take time to stop and make sure that you're headed the right direction. It's easy to get lost. It's easy to get off track. And sometimes we do it to ourselves. Now, if you look at the, the world around you, but it's pretty easy to see that our world around us is just a little bit off track right now. Um, and, and if we're honest, it, it always comes down to where we are with how we position ourselves with the Bible and how we position ourselves with our relationship with Jesus. Uh, I think the world's a little lost, and it's lost because we've drifted out ourselves. It's ourselves, you know. At the end of the day, the condition of the world is there's nowhere to lay the, the blame except at the feet of the people in the world, you know. I just... we. We make our own choices. We do our own things. And given enough time, we will always get off course just a little bit if we don't re-correct ourselves and make sure that we're on the path. If you look at the, the divorce rate in the world, you can tell that we're a little off course. If you look at um, the agendas that are being pushed in our schools right now, it's apparent that we're a little off course. If you look at just the financial conditions of the world itself today, much less America, I don't know how... Your dollars are stretching right now, but it doesn't seem like they're going as far as they have in the past. We're a little off course, you know. Um, There's more trouble in the homes because there's less fathers there to raise the sons because they're a little off course. And and I think there's more discipline issues in, in the schools because the parents have not stepped up to be the parent in the home. They're trying to be the friend in the home instead of steering the home the way that it's supposed to go. We're just a little off course. And if you're not careful, you can find yourself not just as systematically as a world or uh, as a nation. You can find yourself personally off course in 
life. You can find yourself lost. You can find yourself lost. But the good news is, regardless of where you are or what the situation is or what the condition is, there's always a way to get back home. I said there's always a way to get back home. There's always a way to course correct and change things. And every day that you wake up is a great opportunity to make those changes for sure. And this parable that we're going to look at this morning uh, follows suit with that. Um, We're going to be looking at this parable of the lost sheep that Jesus... It's just one of the most amazing, amazing teachings that Jesus did just to reveal not just his heart, but the stark contrast between him and the religious system that he was dealing with at the time and honestly that we're still dealing with today. In Luke chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 1, we're going to dive into this. I love the way this starts out because it just sets the scene. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, everybody go, boo. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They they, they just could not believe what was happening. I like some translations of the Bible that say that it wasn't just tax collectors, it was notorious sinners. Now, I know we can't really appreciate that at the level today that, that we should because that was a big deal back then, especially if you were a Pharisee. Um, the, the actual name or the word Pharisee means to be separated from. Um, they were kind of like religious separatists or separated from society to a degree and from others to a degree. And you certainly didn't hang out with sinners and you didn't hang out with tax collectors or notorious bad people in society. But this is who Jesus attracted to himself. And the good news is that's still who Jesus should be attracting to himself today. So listen, if you feel like you're the worst of the worst or you could just go into any college and teach a class on how to jack your life up or be a notorious sinner, you get along great with Jesus. You get along great with him. And this group of Pharisees were muttering against Jesus because he was doing something that was disgusting to them. Now, if you've got any kind of church background, you're probably pre-programmed to think about a Pharisee a certain kind of way. You know, and, and I, I just got to point out, I, I don't think these guys were all bad. I think a lot of them had good intentions. You didn't become a Pharisee just because you woke up one morning and thought you'd go down to the gas station and sign up to be a Pharisee. There's a lot of work that you had to do and a lot of work you had to put in to be one of these guys. Like, for instance, you had to memorize the entire first five books of the Bible. Now, think about that. How long do you think it would take you to memorize, not in concept, not in principle, but word for word, line for line, paragraph for paragraph, every word, every verse in the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. It, it, it would, that's a lot of words. So you'd start there. And then you would get into keeping the laws. These guys worked really hard to do what they did. And they, they worked really hard to stay at the level that they were operating at. And so when this Jesus guy came in who was a, a recognized rabbi and recognized teacher, and he began preaching the gospel and pointing out the flaws with the law, and pointing out the flaws with their religious 
position versus the beauty of having a real relationship with God, they didn't take to it too well because he was just pretty much um, pouring gasoline in their lemonade, man. They, just, they didn't appreciate it much at all. And I think while these guys had good intentions, they got just a little bit off course. And sometimes good intentions can take you a long way out of bounds, too. It's not just the bad stuff that leads us down the roads we don't need to be on. Sometimes becoming overjealous or zealous of uh, approaching the good things can create a little bit of pride and arrogance and overbearing in you. And that's, I think, more than anything what was off-putting to Jesus. It was like, you guys are crushing it on one hand, and you're completely missing it. On the other hand, you're missing the forest for the trees. You know, And I, I think, in general, that's the problem that I have with religion. And it may sound weird coming from a pastor, but I'm just telling you straight up, I hate religion. I hate religion. I want our church to be a place where religion dies. I just want it to die. Why? Because Jesus did not come to this earth and give his life on the cross so that we could practice religion. He came to reestablish a relationship with God. And there's a big, big difference between the two because religion is all about performance, not transformation. Religion teaches you to act a certain way or, or to perform a certain way. And this is one of the things that Jesus was pointing out all the time with these guys. He says, hey, listen, you're like whitewashed tombs. You got the performance part down. You look good on the outside, guys. Good job. But on the inside, it's jacked up and it's messed up. And you've learned how to play the game. But Jesus didn't come to play the game. He came to rewrite the rule book from the bottom up. You know, it's completely different. He said, this isn't going to cut it anymore. And it's funny how many times in church we can learn to say the right thing and clap at the right time. And it's so funny. As a pastor, you have different kind of perspective on stuff. And if you're not used to um, what we're doing today, and if it's been a while since you've been to a church service, you can probably appreciate what I'm about to say because it's odd seeing somebody shout roll out and give God praise and then hear them slander and run down somebody the next day. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it seems kind of duplicitous in a way, you know? It's weird to see somebody just show up to church every Sunday and even invite you to church every Sunday and then you hear them cussing like a sailor with everybody else in the break room or getting hammered on the weekend with everything. Like, it, it's just weird seeing that. Like they know how to play the game but something's not right on the inside. Yeah. That's religion. Yeah. It's not real relationship. It's performance, not real transformation. And I'm not saying we got to be perfect, but man, something should be different in here. It should be different in here. And, and I think what's funny is a lot of times people that live that hypocritical lifestyle tend to be more critical of others because they've got to find somewhere to project the discontentment that they have with themselves on the inside. And I think that may have been what was going on with the Pharisees. This religious stuff, I mean, it's, it's all about control and not about freedom. Religion is about control. It's not about freedom. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay? But I promise you, wherever there's a religious spirit, there's going to be a power play for control and then the imposing of self-will and preference every time. It's crazy. Like these guys, the Pharisees, they, they would have memorized these first five books of the Bible and kept these laws. It was more than just the Ten Commandments. They, they took the Ten Commandments and it grew to 613 laws that had to be followed. 
How many of y'all have a hard time just keeping the speed limit going to work? You know what I mean? Like, that's me. And, and let's be honest, if you drive the speed limit on 285, odds are you're going to get run over anyway. Like if you're not going 10 over, you're going to be on the 5 o'clock news. You know? It's just it's crazy. It's hard enough to keep some of those things. These guys were trying to keep 613 of them, and then they got their preference and control involved in it. And that morphed and grew to over 1,500 rules and laws and requirements that they tried to impose on everybody else. And these Pharisees became the group, so we got it together, and we're imposing all of these laws and requirements on the you-can't-get-your-life-together crowd. And that pride kind of exalted themselves a little bit. It, it was just weird. Like, they would be nitpicky. This is how nitpicky they were. So one of the laws... Um, in the Ten Commandments, you know, God says, hey, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. What does that mean? Take a day off. Rest. That's one of those laws or one of those commandments that's there. It, it helps us to understand that these laws aren't there to give us rules that we have to follow so much as they're there to help protect us. Anytime God gives a command, it's there for our protection. And he says, I want you to honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, you're going to work hard, you're going to need a day off. How many of y'all could use a day off? Or about five or six of them in a row, right? You feel me? You need a day off to rest. And so the Pharisees got a hold of this stuff, and they started nitpicking and adding their own stuff in. And, and so they came up with rules like this. If you're going to take a day off, that means you can't work. So we're going to have to come in and define what work is. And, and so we think that if you spit on the ground... You're disturbing the earth, and that is considered farming because it's a type of plowing, and that is work. So if you spit on the ground and disturb it, that's a sin. Right. How would you like to hang out with that person on a Friday night? That, that's the kind of junk they were dealing with. So if your house burnt down, I'm not making this up. This is legit. Y'all can look it up and find it on there. If your house catches on fire and you're in the house... On the Sabbath, are you ready for this? You can't pick up your clothes and take them out of your house because that's work. But you can take all your clothes and put them on one layer at a time and just have 50 layers of clothes on because you're not carrying them now, you're wearing them. And it's okay. So if your house catches on fire, as long as you can do, just pile the clothes on you and you're wearing them, you can get out with all of them. But if you carry them, that's work, that's a sin. Impossible. It's impossible. Why? Because they're trying to control these people's lives. Religion is all about control and not freedom. And this is one thing we've got to remember. This helps me. Is that religion is man's creation not God's intention. Religion is man's creation, not God's intention. If you look at God's intention towards us, as soon as he created Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was hanging out with Adam in the Garden of Eden, walking with him in the cool of the day. His intention was to have relationships with us, not to be some deity that was 10 million miles away that we could not connect to, or to be some God that we had to approach in fear and trembling, wondering if he's going to hit us with a bolt of lightning or not. That was not his intention from the beginning. That's not his intention now. He's demonstrated and made it very clear in Scripture that his approach to us is like a loving 
Father who wants to be with His children. And that's why Jesus died to restore all of that. And I think that that's one of the most confusing parts to people that are outside of the church is that they, they don't understand the difference. They don't understand that, there, that religion is not God's heart. Relationship is. And that people do a great job of screwing that up right now, or sometimes. But I tell you, listen, never confuse someone's mistake with God's heart for you. Okay? It's two very completely different things. And, and maybe, maybe you've had an, an issue in church before. A leadership did something that was questionable or, or something legit shady happened. And, and it, was just, it was just wrong, it was just wrong, it was just wrong. But that was a person making a mistake. That was not a perfect God messing up something in your life. You know, the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's funny to me how quickly we can point fingers at other people and point out their faults and we forget that, you know, I just picked the topic and we're probably just as jacked up as they are. We just don't have the spotlight on us right now. And you've got to be careful with that. And, and Jesus just starts out in this religious discussion with these religious people hanging out with these sinners and tax collectors that needed him the most. And, and he pivots in the middle of their muttering and sees what's going on and begins to tell this parable that I think is just so amazing because it's a stark contrast to everything that we just talked about and everything that these Pharisees were missing because they got just a little off course. And Luke 15, starting in verse 3, says, Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and then goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. Whoo, man, Jesus just put it on them here. He said, this, he's talking to the Pharisees and everybody. There he goes, there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. I love that, man. He just absolutely slammed them. He goes, oh, you think you've got it together, but I'm going to tell you what's up because heaven is going to throw a party over any one of these people that I'm around right now, and we're going to celebrate them, not you, because I'm here for them. Oh, my goodness. I love what Jesus is doing kind of drives home the fact that Jesus doesn't avoid people with issues. He goes to them. Thank God. I'm just serious, man. Like, how many of y'all have got issues? It's a real, real moment in church. I, I got it. Some of y'all didn't raise your hand. You got issues being honest in church. I get it. We got, we got, we got issues in this place. Like, like, in fact, let me, let me just clean this up a little bit. Look at the person next to you and say, hey, you got issues, not me. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that how we do it? Right? It's like, you got the issues, not me. It's like college football season is going on right now in houses all over the country. There are more qualified head coaches than there are on any football field managing a program. You know what I'm saying? They just, why don't they just, run the ball? Why don't you just run the ball? Yeah. 
Man, these coaches are idiots. Yeah, and they're getting paid multiple millions of dollars to be, who's the idiot there? They figured out how to get from the living room to the football field. I don't know. I just say, like, we're, we're, everybody else has got the issues, not us. I love that Jesus didn't avoid the people with the issues. If you look all through Scripture, that's where he's going to be. And if you look all through Scripture, outside of his disciples, the biggest group that Jesus always had around him were the jacked-up people with issues. And every once in a while, the Pharisees would come in with their good intentions, but off course and try to set things right. And Jesus would drop a bomb like this and say, Hey, you got it wrong. The healthy don't need the doctor. The sick people do. Maybe if you take a cue from what I'm doing and get off your high horse and get your hands and feet a little bit dirty and work with these people, they wouldn't be as messed up as they are now. I love the heart of Jesus. In fact, in Luke 19, 10, it, it tells us that uh, Jesus said this. This is if you wanted to sum up his mission and his life in one sentence. It's for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. I love that he uses the example of a lost sheep in this, um, especially as it parallels with you and me. I don't know if you've ever seen a sheep. They're not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. They're going to be telling you. And I, just, I know there's probably some very intelligent people in the room, but we've all probably had some really just, I can't believe I did that moments in life. And uh, he, he uses the, the illustration of the, the sheep and the lamb because, man, they just don't make the best decisions. Like there have been documented cases of sheep grazing in a field, and they get so focused on eating the grass that they literally walk off a cliff. That's a special kind of special. You know what I mean? And so I think, I think Jesus is halfway poking fun and halfway just giving us some reality. I just I look back on my life and I can just appreciate that he's the shepherd that will leave the 99 and come after the one because, man, I don't know how it works in your world, but I've needed him to come after me a couple of times. You know, and like maybe if, like, have you all seen that video? Just be going around on social media with the sheep that's stuck in the ditch, and then he gets, like, like that video could be like a banner video for most of our lives. I'm going to play this for you. This is absolutely hilarious. Watch what this joker does. Go ahead and, and play that. You know, I just, I will do something dumb like that if I'm not careful. Oh my gosh, man. But I love, I love that he never gives up and that he will teach us and train us if we give him the chance and help us grow past all of that stuff. You know, it's just funny. You end up in the ditch again. I mean, how many times have you said you won't lose your temper and then you end up in the ditch again? How many times you say, God, I will not get back on line and check out porn again. I'm done with it, but you find yourself in the ditch 
again. I'm not going to let the pressure of life get to me again, but you find yourself at the bottom of a bottle again, trying to escape stuff instead of dealing with stuff. I'm not going to lose my stuff with my spouse anymore. I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to put them first like the Word of God says, and then you find yourself in the ditch again. I love that Jesus is not afraid to get in the ditch and drag us out if we need it. I love that. So the good news is, if you find yourself in there today, you don't have to stay in there. And if your pattern is to go back there, the great news is that through Jesus, you can grow and mature and learn how to avoid those ditches in life. You really can. I, I think it's, it's funny because, I mean, if you think Jesus left in this, the, the shepherd left, and Jesus is the shepherd in this parable. He left the 99 to go find the one. That's bad math. That's bad math, man. I mean, you've got 99 sheep here. Why would you not stay with them and just say, you know what, the other one was dumb. Maybe it's better that I don't let the real dumb one back into the herd to influence these others. You know what I mean? I just, I was just staring at this verse, and I'm like, I, it's a great illustration. It makes for great songs, but like I'm a practical guy, you know. And I got okay. It, this has got to make sense at some level. Why would you walk away from 99 to go find the one? Surely 99 has more value than the one numerically. And from a business point of view, why would why in the world would you do that? And then it just came to me. You know what? We're all priceless in the eyes of God. And if 100 sheep together is 100 priceless individual sheep, then it makes perfect sense to leave them and go after the priceless one. You understand? Like If something's priceless to you, you'll, you'll move heaven and earth, heaven and earth to find it because it has no less value than any of the others. No less value than any of the others, and I was just, somebody was walking me through something one time in my life where I just, you ever had those moments where you're just kind of discontent with where you are, uh-huh. and things just aren't clicking like you want them to, and you, you start to look across the way, and you see how green the grass is over there, and you're like, man, I know that I have served God better than that joker over there. Why are they getting blessed and I'm not? You know, like one of those things. And why, why are they get why did they get a promotion and I'm still making what I made you know three years ago I, I don't understand what's going on uh, you have one of those moments where you start to compare and, and look around and somebody said to me okay well let's just take let's just take uh, let's just take a quick survey of your life right now all right do you love your wife and kids yeah I love my wife and kids okay do you love the church that you get to pastor right now? Yeah, I love the church that I get to pastor most of the time. No, I'm kidding. I, I, love, I, love, I love the church that I get to pastor right now. I really do. Um, how many years did you pray to have the opportunity that you have now? Quite a few. Okay. Let me ask you this. Imagine any of those things gone from your life. Just imagine... That, not that she died or passed away, but just that, that Kelly, my wife, is just not there. She's gone. 
or that your children are gone and not there, what would you give to get them back? I give everything. And if you would give everything for what you already have, then what does that tell you that you have? That is powerful. It is powerful. And, and it's not that he left the 99 to just go after the one. It's that he saw something that was priceless to him and refused to, to live with, without it and gave everything, literally Jesus gave everything that he had to go get each and every one of us. He left the splendor of heaven to live on this earth. He walked and he talked with us and did all the miracles that he did. He was lifted up on a cross and gave his very life for each and every one of us. He gave everything for us because we are everything for him. That is so powerful. Yeah, he would leave the 99 and go after the one. And I think one of the things that's most beautiful in all of this is that if we're just honest with ourselves is that we're either, we're all either, we all either were that sheep or we are that sheep. We either were that or we are that. And if we were, we got to be careful because we could become that again just by getting off course a little bit. It's funny how a little off course over time can create a huge distance. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus gave everything for each and every one of us because we're absolutely priceless in his eyes. He didn't come to establish a religious system or rules or regulations. He came to have a relationship with us and set us free from all of that junk, and to set us free from that sin that we were all entrapped in, and to help course correct us and get us back on track. I'm so grateful for what he did. And maybe you're like me um, in different seasons of my life. I always use myself for examples because I know me uh, the best. I just, you ever had those seasons where you drift kind of far away from God, and you like halfway have some kind of concept of what God does and who he is and then you just feel like you can't come back because you got too much junk going on and you feel like you got too much to work through yourself to to even much less some of y'all here this morning the fact that you're in church is no small miracle itself like you're looking around wondering where the smoke is thinking you catch on fire the second that you walked in here because that's how you see yourself but the truth is that there's not really any varying degrees in sin. And if we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, then we're all in the same position in need of a Savior. So your sin in life is no better or worse than my sin in life. It's all sin that separates us from God. I'd encourage you to take a second look at the track record of God through Scripture. Because just the same way that Jesus was surrounded by sinners and tax collectors, and was seeking to save the lost. All through Scripture, you see God's heart Amen. reflected in that way. All through Scripture, you see God helping people kind of course correct and get back on track. I tell you to look at Moses, who we all think is awesome because he led the people of Israel out of Egypt. It was amazing that he did all of that stuff. But if you look at Moses, Moses had some disabilities, Moses couldn't speak the way that he wanted to. If you look at Moses, Moses was a murderer. And God still course corrected, 
brought him on track and used him in a mighty way. If you look at David, who Scripture says is a man after God's own heart, till he got off track just a little bit and committed murder and committed adultery, and God helped him course correct and get back on track. A man after God's own heart. We're all flawed somehow, some way. Look at Elijah, who had this huge showdown on Mount Carmel with all these prophets of Baal, stuff of legend this guy does, and he caved into anxiety and depression and fear and hid out in a cave until God met him and course-corrected and got him back on track. You can look in the New Testament for the same stuff. Am I boring y'all this morning? or is it, I'm just telling you. I just, you can look in the New Testament, the same stuff. You, you look at... Um, look at this guy named Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, okay, who would be the, the leader of the New Testament church in Jerusalem, but he got off track. He denied Jesus. He actually called down curses on himself. He went back to his old job and abandoned his calling and left the ministry until Jesus helped him course correct. You look at the apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. These are people that did powerful things for the kingdom of God, and they are more jacked up, I would debate, than any of us in this room right now. Paul, amazing. Paul planted tons of churches, wrote the majority of the New Testament, with one of the greatest minds in his time, a genius. But he persecuted the church. He ripped people out of their homes because they believed in Jesus and threw them in jail and put them to death, ripped fathers and mothers away from their children, gave approval to all of it until Jesus helped him course correct and get back on track. I'm telling you, we all get off track somehow, some way. We all make mistakes. And we all fall short. I just praise God that he's not content with leaving us that way, Amen. you know? And maybe you don't relate to any of the stuff that I've said so far. Maybe you can't connect with the illustrations from the Bible because that's the Bible and it's not as real as real life that you see. And I, I tell you that the Bible is probably more real than what you see with your eyes today or what you're hearing me say. Um, maybe something a little more close to home would be better Maybe hearing a story from somebody else might work. So I brought a story for you to listen to and watch about a guy named Sean. Go ahead and play that. You guys check this out. Man, my life has been a lot of turmoil. I got saved when I was 14 years old. Around 15, I was audibly called into ministry like a verbal calling, baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in water. And then around 16 or 17, I, uh, I stepped away. I remember it was one song, um, and I started listening to that song over and over, and then girls, and then I just, I stepped away and I ran. I guess about the next 30 years, and there was always evidence. Um, there were times in my life when I should have been dead. Um, there were times when 
I knew that God was there and I still ran. No word, no worship, no nothing. The whole time I was just hanging around the periphery, around the edges. I knew God was there and I just didn't want to commit blasphemy. So I struggled. Nothing made me happy. It was just un unfulfilled. And my life wasn't, I wasn't happy. I thought I found it when I started using drugs. I thought I found it. Um, but I didn't. In fact, I'm 145 days old today, the day we're recording. Back in May of this year, May the 1st, I overdosed. I was in ventricular tachycardia. I had to be shocked twice. I remember seeing the light close, like my light fade, my vision fade. I remember the pain of being shocked and I remember coming to. I ended up in a treatment center and God is so funny because in there, one of the questions about my, my recovery plan is where am I going to seek out my spirituality? Where am I going to improve my spiritual life? My immediate thought was I'm going to Eastgate. When I was in that treatment center, I started praying. And I was praying for people whom I felt had abandoned me because I didn't want a resentment against them. So I just started praying for them and I started calling them by name. But like I said, God is funny. My prayers in the morning are one of the most important things in my life nowadays because it's where I start my day today, is I start my day in prayer. I start my day in God's word. I pray when I wake up. I pray when I walk. I listen to praise and worship when I walk now. And, and this is just God just changing me a little bit at a time. And there was, there was no intention of doing it. That's the crazy thing. And then I get invited to dinner and I tell Pastor Josh about my life, how unfulfilled it was. And I was just letting him know, you know, and what kept coming to me is a story in Ezekiel about the Valley of Dry Bones. And the funny thing about the Valley of Dry Bones for me is that my life is like that. It was a, it's a Valley of Dry Bones. My life before today, before my baptism, before me coming back to Eastgate, before me rededicating my life to Jesus, it's dry bones. So today, when I said I prayed for the people who abandoned me, the people who matter most, the people who they never did, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they never abandoned me, they never forsake me. I had a friend who came to visit me in, in the hospital. He said to me, he said, Sean, what if you had died? What would have happened? And so that's why I say I'm 135 days old because that old man did die that day. He did die. And I have a new life. And the new life for me is a new adventure because every day is a new beginning and I get to see what God does for me today. And I get to see what God does in the body. And I'm so excited to be part of that because up until this point, it was all unfulfilled. It was just me running. And every time, and that's the thing, you can run from God, but you only end up tired. And that's where I ended up, tired. And I don't want to be tired anymore. In fact, I'm not tired.
What a video, huh? Yeah. That is not just a video. Y'all show some love for my friend Sean as he comes up here this morning. There's one thing to talk about life transformation. It's one thing to talk about getting off course and then getting back on. That's another thing. Yeah. Thank you. I wanted Sean to come up here. One, just to show that this is real. Yeah. It's not something we just cooked up. Two. It's never too far gone for Jesus to reach you. So Sean, I'm going to give you the mic for a couple of minutes. If you could say anything to anybody in this room or anyone watching online that is not right with God, that does not have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, what would you say to them? Wow. Um, first of all, can y'all hear him okay? Can you hear me? There we go. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to sell out? It, 30 years, my life's burned to the ground. And he's done more in his 145 days. So imagine what he can do with your life today, right now, wow. and the rest of your life. I'm, I'm going to be 48 now. What could he have done with 30 years? Wow. What could my Lord and Savior have done with me in 30 years? But that's over. That's gone. I'm here today. So search your heart and find out. Because if your life is unfulfilled, there's a reason it's yeah. unfulfilled. Because if I don't submit my life... and the funny thing about God is that he tugs on you. He says, hey, you need to drop this. It's a hindrance in your life. I don't have to come right to get right with Jesus. I just submit and he says, hey, Sean, I need this here in your life. I need you to give it up and I'll help you. See, because I had it backwards the whole time and I, I, was, I was saved. I was called into ministry, and I was afraid to give up everything. But all I had to do, all I had to do was just say, okay, God, I'm tired of running, and I want you to take it. I'm tired. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight your Holy Spirit. I just submit. So how do I submit? Well, it was, it was funny because, again, I started praying for people by name. And now my prayer life has increased because that's what the Holy Spirit does. If I follow his leading, and sometimes I fight it. I still fight it. Are you growing? But, but, again, he just tugs at me. So why wait? Why wait? Why not now? What if now? is the beginning of the rest of your life in him why not now why are you waiting now don't wait because he can do a lot with a little 
So if I had a question to ask you, it would be, why are you waiting? Wow. Why are you waiting? I love that. You know what? Why? Let's do this now. What do y'all say? Let's all stand this morning. What a powerful story for sure. Hey, you could talk all day about the drug addiction. You could talk all day about the relationships in and out. You could talk all day about just fill in the blank, man. At the end of the day, it started and it stopped with Jesus. It's where it starts and it stops with all of us here, you know. Why wait? Why wait? So I'll bow our heads and close our eyes just for a moment. Why do y'all do that in church? We do it so that you don't get distracted. There's a lot going on in this room right now. And I just want you to listen to what God is speaking to you, and I want you to hear the sound of my voice. Where are you in your walk with God? I mean, is it real? Or are you still like living a life of sin far from Him? Or maybe you were close to Him, but now you, you've just kind of gotten off track a little bit and drifted away. And maybe today is the day to course correct. Maybe today is the day to just settle the issue. Maybe today is the day to let Jesus get you back on track or to get you on track. You might have come here today just because somebody invited you and you had no idea what was going to go on, but I tell you, God knew what was going to go on. And Maybe you're that one sheep today, and I'm here to tell you, <laughs> he still leaves the 99 to go after the one. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a real relationship with Jesus and you know you need to. And the big question is, if you stood before God right now, what would he say? If you stood before God right now and had to be judged, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? And I didn't say, where would God send you? The truth is, we send ourselves based on what we do with Jesus in this life. God has already done everything He could possibly do to set us up for forgiveness and restoration. If we go to hell, we choose to walk over the cross of Jesus on our way there. If you had to stand before Him right now, what, what, what would be the verdict? And the truth is we need to settle that now because there is going to come a day that none of us are going to escape when we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And our name either is or isn't going to be in this thing called the Lamb's Book of Life. The good news is that Jesus has done everything that needed to be done to pay the price for the sin in our lives, to do what we couldn't do. We couldn't live a perfect life, so He did and then gave that life as a sacrifice for you and for me. He came to destroy the religion that has, for some of us in this room, jacked up our whole perception of God. Jesus came to restore all of it. He came to restore you. And the beautiful thing about the question that I've asked you is that you know the answer to it right here, right now. Do you have a real relationship with Jesus? The good news is that you can. And all across this room, 
I'm, I'm going to count to three. And if you're in this room or you're watching online and you know that your relationship with Jesus isn't where it needs to be. He is not Savior and Lord of your life. You're off track and you need to get back on. When I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and I want you to look at me. I want to pray for you and pray with you this morning. Don't let this moment pass you by. We're going to get this stuff right, like Sean said, right now. Because none of us are promised tomorrow. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's get that right on the count of three. If that's you and you know you need, you know you need to make the change. You know you need to course correct. You know you need to get back on track. You know you need a relationship with Jesus. On the count of three, lift your eyes up and look at me. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift them up. I see yours. I see yours. I see yours. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. I see yours. I see yours. I see yours. I see you in the back right there. I love what God's doing. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. I see you right there. And this is beautiful. We're getting back on track this morning. We're getting back on track. We're getting back on track. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet and you know you need to, don't let this moment pass you by. Don't get caught up in some dumb cycle of religion where you think you'll fix it later. The moment of change is now. I see you right there. I see you right there. This is awesome. I love what God is doing in this place this morning. One last time. One last time. If you know you need to respond to this and you haven't yet, lift your eyes up and look at me. Lift them up and look at me. Let's take a step. Let's make it real. I see you right there. This is awesome what God is doing in the house this morning. We've got a saying here at our church. We try our best to live by it. At Eastgate, no one walks alone. And we think that's appropriate for a church because it reflects the heart of our Savior. He's always faithful. He never fails. He never forsakes. He's always with us. I want to pray for you personally this morning. I just I don't want to do this blanket. I want to pray over the crowd thing. I want to pray for you personally this moment. I want to have a moment with you. So I know what I'm about to ask you to do may make you uncomfortable, and I'd encourage you just to, to process through that and make a move because you doing what I'm about to ask you to do might just be the step. It might just be the move that you need to make to make this thing real and not just another prayer that you're praying this morning. If you lifted your eyes and you responded to this altar call that I'm giving, Right now, when I, when I count to three again, I want you to do this. I want you to get out of your seat, out of your row, and I want you to come meet me right here at the front of this stage so I can pray with you personally this morning. And I know this, if it's real in your heart now, then it will be easy for you to take the step. It'll be easy for you to do it. And this is the safest place on the planet for you to do this because you're in a room full of people that have been there and done that and but for the grace of God wouldn't be here now. So we understand it. Listen, we all need a moment of course correction from time to time. And this is yours. So on the count of three, you lifted your eyes and there was a lot of us. Listen, don't 
Don't let the room intimidate you. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't miss out on this moment. On the count of three, get out of your seat, out of your row, and come meet me here at the front so we can pray. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on, let's give God praise as they come up this morning. Every one of them, come on. God is awesome in this place. So awesome in this place. Now here's what I know. Bring it down just a little. This is what I know. There were more. All right, there were more. So, you know, the saying, you don't want to beat a dead horse. I don't want to beat a dead horse. But I also don't want to miss the opportunity that you have in front of you. You're priceless in the eyes of God. And you know what that means? That you're priceless to me. And I don't want you to walk out of here today and miss this opportunity. So let's do this. And I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable or put you on the spot. You can always say no to this. But if you would, Eastgate and the people here, help me out. Look at the person standing next to you and say, do you need to go down there? Because if you do, I'll go with you. Alright, so on the count of three, listen, if you need to bring somebody down here, I don't want you to miss out. Let's do this again, and let's see what happens when people walk with others. Amen? Alright, so here we go. One, two, three. If you need to be down here and you're not, come on down here. Come on down here. I don't want to miss out. I know there was more. Come on. Come on. I don't want to miss out. love what the Lord is doing here today. How awesome is this? Listen, I'm your biggest cheerleader right now. I'm about to lose my mind right now. You know, because, you know Jesus said uh, that he would pick up that sheep, throw it on his shoulders, and do it joyfully. That all of heaven would be rejoicing over one sheep that is found. I'm telling you right now, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 plus y'all that didn't come up. Listen, there is a party about to bust loose in heaven. And I can tell you what, there's a devil that is mad as a place where he lives right now. I'm telling you, this is so awesome.